Welcome back to Tales of Southwest Michigan's Past. This is Michael Delaware. I am your host. And in today's journey through history, we're going to take a look once again at the hotel industry. This time we're going to zero in on the Burdick Hotel in Kalamazoo, Michigan, which originally was constructed in 1850. And it's on the site, or it would have been on the site, of where the current Radisson Plaza Hotel is today. And it was a historic landmark for a long time within the city and quite an institution of its time. But it's also interesting to look at the early hotel industry because it is so different today from what it used to be. So come along and join me. Let's go back in time and take a tour through the Burdick Hotel. So this information that I'm going to be reading today and referring to comes from the Kalamazoo Library local history page and their research on the Burdick Hotel. And the article that I'm reading from was written by David Corman of the Kalamazoo Public Library staff in 2012. So the origins of hospitality on the present site of the Radisson Plaza Hotel date back to August of 1850, when construction of an imposing four-story brick structure began. It was built by Frank Dennison, and initially known as Dennison's Brick Block. The new building occupied 100 feet of frontage along Main Street, which is today's Michigan Avenue in Kalamazoo. And the Kalamazoo Gazette described the architecture at that time and the facilities in grand terms, noting a large archway, which defined the main entrance. And from this entry, a broad hall extended through the building, creating space for two stores. And then an elegant spiral staircase provided access to the upper floors, where one would find a third floor concert hall and accommodations for about 200 guests. The roof line was crowned with a cupola, which would helped the new hotel dominate the downtown streetscape. The Kalamazoo Gazette wrote of the new hotel's design as the effect is imposing and carries us back to the feudal architecture of the 14th century. So the new hotel was certainly one of the most impressive structures in the city of its time. However, standards of hotels at that time were a far cry from what they are today. The modern hotel had only recently evolved from the traditional tavern during that time period. And so the hotel standards and amenities would be constantly changing and improving throughout the remainder of the 19th century. Privacy, even in the highest class hotels, was largely unheard of. Not only were guests expected to share rooms, but they often were expected to share beds. Now, put that into your head for a minute. And there's a lot of stories and references if you look back at the old writings of letters from that time period when someone was traveling, particularly men, would do the traveling around the country. Even Abraham Lincoln makes mention of this in some of his letters about having to share the bed with other men when he traveled and stayed at hotels. So not only did they have to share these rooms, they had to share beds. And a hotel was not considered full until every available space in a bed was occupied. It's kind of hard to believe when you look at that, but that 
was the custom of the period. So hotels of the time were often male-only domains, home to such vices as bars and billiards and out-of-town strangers, and they weren't considered proper places for ladies at all. But construction took longer than expected of this new hotel and building, and the hotel was not actually ready for business until April 1854. At that time, it was known originally as the Cosmopolitan Hotel. And it's impossible to say how well it was received by the traveling public, but the new Cosmopolitan went through a series of owners in a relatively brief period of time before undergoing an extensive renovation and expansion program as early as 1855. So this work included covering the exterior brick with a stucco front to create the illusion of a granite facade. The spruced-up building was set to reopen with a new name in honor of the late General Justice Burdick, whose home once stood nearby. Perhaps as foreshadowing, this opening almost didn't take place. Shortly before the scheduled grand reopening, a massive fire swept through several adjacent businesses on the same block. Now, although the hotel itself was spared, there was considerable smoke and water damage in the hotel building and also to its expensive new furnishings. As a result, the opening of the new hotel was delayed once again. So despite this setback, the rechristened Burdick Hotel prospered throughout the remainder of the 19th century. The building was continuously updated to keep up with the latest innovations and to ensure the maximum comfort for its guests. These updates included the 1857 edition of Horse Stables on Water Street for the use of guests and free parking for the 19th century. In 1860, the hotel began its long association with Henry F. Badger, an established hotelman from Chicago. Badger was brought in by the hotel's operators to help manage the Burdick, and in 1865, he purchased the hotel from its builder, Frank Dennison. Badger remained the Burdick's owner into the 20th century. Through continuous updates and expansions, he oversaw its rise as the leading hotel in Kalamazoo, surpassing its chief rivals, the Kalamazoo House and the American Hotel. By the turn of the century, Kalamazoo had grown considerably. The hotel industry had changed, and hotels had evolved technologically and improved plumbing, increased privacy, as many other features were also updated and changed. They also evolved into a social standing. The hotels were becoming an accepted and vital element of a community's social life. They had distanced themselves from the rowdy taverns of old and had become centers for events of all kinds. In 1905, a group of businessmen and civic boosters led by John Henry Burke recognized the need for Kalamazoo to have a first-class hotel that conformed to the latest standards. With this in mind, they organized a campaign to raise funds to build such a facility. The campaign fell far short of the goal, so the plan died. However, John Burke was undeterred. Burke met with H.F. Badger to negotiate the purchase of the Burdick. Badger, looking to retire, was persuaded to agreeable terms for both the building and its fixtures, 
and Burke and his three partners organized the Arcade Company, which immediately took ownership of the hotel and made plans for an aggressive expansion and modernization to bring the Burdick into the 20th century. The updated Burdick Hotel debuted in 1907. From Main Street, the structure appeared as it had since its earliest days. However, not only had the interior been completely modernized, but the structure had been expanded north to Water Street. The broad hall of the original building had evolved into an elegant retail arcade, which ran from the hotel's entrance to the main new entrance on Water Street. And designed by Kalamazoo architect Rockwell Leroy, the Burdick Arcade was set to become not only a distinguishing feature of the hotel itself, but a downtown Kalamazoo institution. Its 1907 incarnation was a testament to its builders. It featured walls lined with onyx marble, elaborate plaster ceilings, and skylights. In addition to shops, the hotel's new lobby, dining room, and bar were arranged along the arcade's length. These public spaces were also decorated with marble and ornate plaster. The second floor contained a restaurant and parlors situated along a grand rotunda and staircase. Upstairs, the Burdick offered 150 rooms, which were furnished in the most up-to-date fashion. Now, that's a very interesting look at the evolution of a hotel and how they changed over the years from the old tavern functions and mentality into more community places. And as we look at hotels today, we see that all the modern and new hotels have event halls and they have a variety of different restaurants and they've got individual meeting rooms of different sizes. And you can see that the direction was to become more of a public meeting space and gathering for the community, even for guests that are not staying in the hotel. And that's an interesting evolution from the days of the old tavern mentality that came out of the Victorian era. So as a result of the extensive rebuilding, the Burdick could rightfully at this point boast its renewed status as Kalamazoo's leading hotel and as the center of social life in Kalamazoo. However, no sooner had a promising era of the hotel's life begun when it came to a sudden end. On the 8th and 9th of December, 1909, Kalamazoo witnessed one of its most spectacular disasters. A fire broke out in the Star Bargain House, a retail business, which stood adjacent to the hotel. The fire quickly spread beyond control and began to consume the hotel. Fire brigades from Battle Creek and Grand Rapids arrived to assist the Kalamazoo Fire Department, while hotel guests were forced out into the cold streets with nothing more than their pajamas that they were wearing. The blaze lasted throughout the night and completely leveled the hotel and much of the block. By the morning, only smoldering ruins remained. It was one of the largest and most destructive fires in the city's history, long remembered as Kalamazoo's million-dollar fire. But despite this setback, John Burke and the Arcade Company were determined to rebuild and announce their intention even as smoke rose over the rubble. The fire had provided a clean slate upon which to work. It became possible for the arcade company to purchase additional property, both along Main as well as Burdick Street, and now the hotel property resembled a giant cross with frontage on three major streets. 
In addition, this newly expanded and unusually arranged property, the builders would no longer be confined by the old structure. They could freely design a new facility to best meet the needs of the 20th century. The services of Chicago architect Joseph Llewellyn was employed to design a new burdock that fully met the most up-to-date standards in architectural taste and hospitality. Llewellyn also designed Kalamazoo's first skyscraper, the Kalamazoo National Bank Building, which had been completed in 1907. In part due to careful planning and fundraising, work on the new hotel did not begin in earnest until October 1910. But once construction got underway, it rapidly progressed with a target for September 1911 as the grand opening. The most prominent feature of the new burdock was its massive facade on Main Street. It formed a seven-story wall of red brick broken up with white terracotta window trims and projecting cornice. It would become a familiar face to generations of Kalamazooans. The smaller facades on Burdick and Water Streets had similar architectural details but each had its own distinct look. The interior revived the old Burdick's retail arcade, providing space for 21 shops. As with its predecessor, the new arcade stretched from Water to Main Street, with additional access to Burdick, hotel facilities such as the lobby, dining rooms, billiard rooms, and bar were located on the arcade's west side. Retail shops lined the east side, and two large parlors and a ballroom were located on the second floor and provided ample quarters for social events of all types and sizes. The decor was described as Art Nouveau and featured elaborate plasterwork, marble, hand-painted wall designs, and mosaic floors. The Kalamazoo Gazette proclaimed that the architecture and facilities of the new Burdick placed it among the finest hotels in the Midwest, an equal in every respect but size to the Ponce train in Detroit, then recognized as Michigan's finest hotel. Guest rooms were spread throughout the upper floors in three wings, facing Main, Burdick, and Water Streets. The guest rooms represented the last word in hotel offerings of the time. Each room had access to a bath. The best rooms had private baths, while the remainder shared facilities with another room. Each room was equipped with a telephone and handsomely furnished with carpet, wallpaper, and artwork. It was a far cry from Burdick's early days when strangers were expected to sleep dormitory style in large rooms. As the new Burdick rose over downtown Battle Creek, John Burke got the idea to invite President William Howard Taft to Kalamazoo. Among the activities for the president that Burke had in mind was having him formally dedicate the new hotel as its first registered guest. It would prove an effective means of generating publicity. Taft agreed to a visit and work hastened to get the building ready in time. While the hotel was not fully completed, it was well enough prepared for a soft opening, including a lavish banquet in the new ballroom in Taft's honor. On the appointed day, Taft arrived at the hotel after a busy schedule of ceremonies across town. The front of the burdock had been cleaned up and draped in dozens of American flags, one of the most lavish banquets in the city's history was enjoyed. The new Burdick Hotel was officially completed and opened on the 20th of November with another lavish banquet 
that both celebrated the hotel and raised funds to build a new cottage at the Lake Farm Boys Home. The Kalamazoo Gazette proclaimed it to be one of the biggest social affairs of the present season. This was merely the beginning. In its heyday, the Burdick itself, established as a social and economic center for Kalamazoo, hosted not only nightly guests, but balls and banquets of all sizes. For most of the 1930s and 1940s, the Burdick Hotel was home of Kalamazoo's first radio station, WKZO, started by John Fetzner in 1920. WKZO became the local CBS affiliate and gained popularity at such a pace that it uh, continually outgrew its previous homes. In 1931, Fetzner moved the station to the seventh floor of the Burdick in a suite of elegantly appointed office and studio space. An additional office was placed in one of the ground floor storefronts on Main Street to enable easier access for the public. The presence of WKZO brought additional attention and activity to the hotel, and the station performed live broadcasts from the ballroom. Regular sidewalk broadcasts engaged public directly in front of the hotel, and WKZO moved to new studios on the hotel's second floor in 1949 and remained a tenant until it finally outgrew the available space and built its own headquarters called Broadcast House in 1958. Another notable tenant was the Harvester Club, which was located on the ground floor on the arcade. The Harvester Club was a private club established in 1951 in response to local liquor laws, which limited the sale of liquor by the glass strictly to clubs. The club became one of the most prestigious in town and offered elegant quarters featuring a diamond-shaped bar. The Harvester Club remained in operation until the hotel's closing. Following the Second World War, the growth of automobile ownership and corresponding rise of suburban auto culture led to a long period of decline for the downtown hotels. Throughout the 1950s and 1960s, travelers were making their journeys by cars as opposed to trains. Their hospitality needs were met by a growing number of motels conveniently located near the interstates and offering guests their free parking. So as a result of these new trends, older downtown hotels were losing their core of business. Nightly occupancy rates and profits declined. In an effort to adapt to the changing economic climate, many older hotels began renting their rooms on a long-term monthly basis, increasingly becoming apartment hotels with a large number of permanent and semi-permanent residents, in addition to the dwindling numbers of nightly transients. The Burdick was not exempt from these changes, but this adaption was not enough to keep the Burdick in the black. Throughout the 1960s, the hotel operated on tenuous economic footing. The hotel first faced closure in 1962 when its furnishings were seized as payment for back taxes. The Burdick was able to recover, but continued to limp along throughout the remainder of the 1960s. In the summer of 1970, the American National Bank and the First National National Bank, who jointly held the mortgage on the property, 
filed a foreclosure action. This set in motion a chain of events which the old hotel was unable to recover from. The banks took ownership of the Burdick in September 1971 and began shutting down the landmark after nearly 120 years of operation. Over 30 residents of the hotel, mostly senior citizens at this point, had to be relocated, as did five retail establishments that called the Burdick home. The fate of the Burdick property was not left in question for long. There was a recognized need for a major investment in facelift in the downtown area, Recent trends of urban renewal called for a massive demolition and reconstruction projects. In the case of the Burdick Hotel, plans were drafted to replace the entire city block with a modern hotel, office, and retail complex named the Kalamazoo Center. This new facility would serve much of the same function in the community as the Burdick had, and work began to start in the fall of 1972 with the demolition of the Burdick, and then the block was cleared by the end of 1973, and the Kalamazoo Center opened in 1975. Today, the Kalamazoo Center is known as the Radisson Plaza Hotel and continues the tradition of its hospitality, on the very site that the Burdick stood for 117 years. And that is the story and history of the Burdick Hotel in the downtown Kalamazoo area. And that's going to conclude today's episode with a nice look at some of the hotel industry in Kalamazoo. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to leave a rating, review, or thumbs up on whatever app that you're using out there. It is certainly greatly appreciated for reaching new listening audience members out there who love history. And of course, if you'd like to reach out to me, you can find me at michaeldelaware.com. I'm always happy to hear from my listeners. And there's a way to contact me on that website. And if you would be so kind as to go over to my Facebook page, Michael Delaware Author, and hit the like button this week when you get a chance when you're floating around Facebook, that would be greatly appreciated. I am trying to expand the numbers on that page to uh, reach as many people as possible that listen to this podcast when I make announcements of upcoming activities and even my new book in the first quarter of 2024. And until next time, when we take another journey into yesterday and we explore even more fascinating tales of Southwest Michigan's past. Thank you for coming along with me on this journey, and thank you for listening.